special guest alert. You're never going to guess who we have on the show with us today. It's going to be a very, very fun episode. Hang in with us. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. Okay, well, welcome everyone. We have three people on with us today. It's myself, Jean. We have Tosh. Hey. They left us unsupervised. Again. And we have a lovely guest here, the one of our favorite people on the internet. Um, oh my gosh. Absolutely. That aligns with so much of where we operate out of and from for our children. Um, we have Meg Raby, Raby with us. It is Raby, right? Raby? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Terrible laugh. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, no, I, I, I'll share. A singular rabies. <laughs> oh, I, I got my mom's, my mom's maiden name is, is pretty bad. And I will share that later. It'll be a fun little share. Um, but what is so awesome about Meg is that she, um, has, she's, she's, she is an active advocate, um, neurodiverse affirming, um, public figure, but that all spiraled out of her work that she does in organic fashion or so it seems she's a speech language, um, pathologist by trade, um, still actively practices, has patients. Um, and all, is it all pediatric? Uh, yeah. Meg? yeah. So yeah. All, all pediatric clients and, um, she is an author and that's one of the coolest things about the work that she does and how it complements what she's doing and, and really getting the word and the message out about inclusion and acceptance, um, of, uh, of our autistic kiddos and kin. Um, she is the author of My Brother Otto. And this past year in 2022, she released the uh, second um, installment of the Otto series, because now we can say it's a series because there's two. Um, it's My Brother Otto and the Birthday Party. And um, I actually have read both of these books to both of my kids' classes for their birthdays. Um, and it has been, I mean, it's one, the teachers, the educators had not heard about the books. Um, so that was powerful for them. Um, mm -hmm. they shared it with the other, their, their comrades, their other, uh, other associate teachers and librarians, um, spreading the word. And it really just, it instigated this very, organic conversation amongst kids, you know, first graders and third graders about what is autism and what things are, what things seem different and, um, and how it can be very cool and how we just 
are able to still include people um, and they can in their own way. Um, they don't have to be excluded from all the favorite things that that other people do Mm. Um, and just learning about what makes them them and they share their personal stories you know and it it just blossoms into you know Mm. multifaceted connections I feel like that that start to be made for them and it's I I'm very thankful for them these books did not exist when I I was growing up had they had they I think even stepping into my child's diagnosis it you know, in my adulthood would have looked very different. Yeah. Um, just how, how powerful it is going to be for these young people who are reading these books. And then when they have kids, if they decide to have kids and, um, and they said, it'll be just a completely different experience for them. It's a, it's kind of transformation. So it's like really big work. So, uh, I know I just like really put you up there on a pedestal, <laughs> I'm not um, that cool. No. Yeah. You are. She's totally cool. She's totally cool. And she is also, and I think it's really important that there's, you know, sharing the personal side of, of all of, all of mm-hmm. us. Um, you know, she's recently um, engaged as well. So she's got lots of Yay. exciting things going on in her life. Um, and she's just a positive light um, in this arena. So like I've talked a lot about you, but so far, but, we really want, I want you to kind of maybe, you want to start where, where does, where does your story start with this? And then, you know, and how did Otto kind of come inspired in all of this work that you were doing? Yes. That's such a good question. And thanks so much for just chatting with me this morning. It's so fun. Um, It's always fun to find like-minded people that like reinvigorate your passion and, um, keep the, uh, the fuel needed for advocacy. Sometimes you can, you can feel a little bit alone and this is awesome. Um, yes, I would say that Otto is fueled from a personal classmate that I had when I myself was in preschool. And before I jump into more about Otto, my preschooler uh, classmates, I think it's important to say that I first learned about autism in graduate school and was very stubborn to want to learn much because all of my colleagues were like, I I always say autism was like the sexy thing. Like everyone was like, oh, I want to work with autistic children and um, do autism research and all this stuff. And so I was like, well, I'm going to be different (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Um, Which lo and behold, I would say, um, I don't know people's faith backgrounds, but if there's one thing in in me where I can say, yeah, like this has been God, it's been God throwing me because I literally was like, I will not work with autistic children or adults because that's the cool thing to do. And I'm always like drawn to the not cool thing to do. Um, And he had, I would say he had other plans for sure for this. And so what happened was I got waitlisted in grad school the first year. Um, My ex-husband back then got into the number one program for his field. And so I couldn't say no, like, I'm not going to go there. Um, But it was like in the top 10 for my programs across the United States. And I got waitlisted. So I felt like there was a hope 
that I could get into the program if they, um, if I could maybe just develop relationships with the staff and they could get to know me. Cause when you're going for your master's, they don't interview you. It's all on paper and they don't know who you are. So I reached out and said, is there anyone like doing research? And uh, there was a man named Dr. Joe Richley and was like, yes, we would, I would love to have you. I need help. And they go, awesome. What's your research on? <laughs> and it was on, um, teaching kids, autistic um, preschoolers, uh, more resiliency in trying hard things and then asking for assistance versus it being like they learn a rote, like, I need your help. Like if they keep saying that, it's like, how can we get that to where they will also, you know, first try um, themselves? And I was like, are you kidding? I was like, okay. You know, I'll smile. I was like, yeah, of course I'll do that. I ended up loving that, of course, which was great. And in that year between undergrad and applying and applying, reapplying for grad school into the University of Minnesota, that's where I ended up. Um, I also worked at an anthropology and I was like the queen of the fitting rooms, which makes me laugh, but I like loved the fitting room probably because it was secluded and I saw it as art, like, cause people would ask like, oh, what should I put with this? And I'd be like, ooh, let me go run out and see. And I really loved that creative aspect, but there was one gal that stayed in the fitting room one afternoon for a long time. I mean, like close to an hour and I was concerned, but then I wasn't hearing anything. I could still see feet moving a little bit. And so I was like, we're okay. But then she started crying and that's when I just knocked on her door and was like, are you okay, ma'am? Like, can I get you something? Like, are you, are you okay? And then she just bursted out saying like, I just wish I could come here with my daughter. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like what happened to your daughter? You know, like I <laughs> didn't know what was going on. And then she's like, she has autism and like, she can't come here. And I was like, why can't she come? You know, like, who is, the, who is your daughter? Like, let's get her in here. And then she was like, oh, she's in a group home and like has a really hard time out and about in the community. And I was like, well, I would love to meet her. How old is she? And she was 21. Her daughter was 21 at the time. And for four, no, for five, nope, five years, six years, every single Saturday, I would hang out with her in her home. And became like dear friends with her. And about one year after hanging out with her, her name is Marie, we ended up back at that anthropology and we all bought matching dresses and whatnot. And like the mom felt so empowered to like take her now. And like now they go out and about all the time in the community, which makes me so happy. So like even before grad school started, it was like you're being shoved into this um, land of where you're seeing just like autism and trying to make sense of like well what is what what is this like what it looks so different from kid to kid adult to adult and then you enter into grad school though and they give you like the 13 red flags and you're like oh I can write a great essay about this now but really when you're with once you develop relationships with autistic children and adults you're like this is not we do not fit under 13 red flags and also we're not scary we don't need red flags <laughs> um and so learning all of that at a later age main like shoved me back into thinking about oh my gosh like I can name so many people now that I think were probably autistic 
And oh my gosh, they probably felt so alone in that. Like, so I'm very empathetic and, um, things don't just leave me. Like they circulate in my mind forever and ever. (laughs) So I was thinking about specifically some kids in my high school class and then went all the way back and was like, Oh my gosh, auto like in preschool. And my mom enrolled me in preschool at the age of three. So I went to preschool for three years with this kid named Otto. And for three years he would hang out with his, um, it was like a small Christian preschool and he would hang out with an aide or like a one-on-one assistant and was always flicking his wrists back and forth really fast, was non-speaking or non-verbal. And little Meg would come up and be like, you want to play? You want to play with me? <laughs> and, you know, like I think back then and it's not, I'm not that old, but <laughs> still, I guess this is like 30 years ago. Um, I think we were, again, like we're still learning about neurodiversity and the neurodivergent brain. And I think back then it was like, they're trying to do the best that they could, but they would tell me, Oh Meg, he's fine. He's fine. Just go back and join the other classmates or go play at recess. You're fine. You're fine. Don't worry. And I'd be like, okay. And like, you know, skip away three days later, I'd be confused. Cause I'd still see him in the class. You won't play. And you know, like same routine. Um, so I think on accident that teacher kind of shaped like, on accident. I really want to stress that too, because I think it's too easy to get mad in a way at that teacher. And I'm I'm not mad. I think again, she was doing the best she could, but she would she shielded me from him, so then it othered him. And so in my head, I think then I'm like, okay, that kid's just kind of strange. You know, like he doesn't want to play with me, or like they let him play with me. He doesn't talk. Like I'll guess I'll just leave them alone and I don't really understand what's happening, but I'm also not going to ask questions because there wasn't that invitation really to. And again, there was a lack of information as well. Um, So enter in, I need to write, like I've always wanted to write at least one children's book in my life because I just love creativity and I love collecting children's books since I was a kid and um, love You've Got Mail and actually wanted to be Meg Ryan growing up and own my own like coffee shop, children's bookstore. And <laughs> like that was my, literally I went to college and was like, I'm going into business. That is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be Meg Ryan and own the shop around the corner. Um, but I wrote then my brother Otto, choosing specifically Otto for that classmate because I'm like that kid reflecting back I would love to know where he is now because I'm like he does he like after working with these kids and becoming friends with them and then having an adult autistic friend um, who taught me probably so much about like shed so many of the myths that I had in my mind of like oh they're they don't really want relationship they're happy completely by themselves and like it's really hard to break them out of their own world and stuff like that and realizing like if we understood more and could kind of jump into their interests and whatnot with them participate and um, take time to under to get to know them like that person still wants a friend and to have fun and to be loved and to be wanted I always add that when you see my advocacy wanting um, so my brother Otto came out and then 
Yeah, I was terrified to submit the manuscript and refused to for three years. And had a group of girlfriends tell me like, Meg, like life is about risks. And like, yes, you can get rejected. And I was like, I'm not sending it. I looked up the statistics of like getting published and they look terrible. (laughs) I was like, I will be, I am not doing this. And I was like, I hate rejection, like hate it. It makes me feel like I tell myself lies when I'm rejected. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this. And then, you know, we continue to have those conversations about risk and how um, <laughs> nothing will happen unless you risk, you know, like it's just going to sit there. So I'm like, okay, I'll make a list of um, publishers. That would be that this story would be a good fit for the other books they publish. And I said, I really, though, I also don't want, like, the illustrations to be subpar. Like, that was huge to me, too, because I was like, I just, like, that'll make me feel, again, like, it's just such another, like, othering kind of a book in a way of, like, like, it's, I don't want, like, I want this to be a beautiful children's book. And I'm terrible at illustration, so it's not me doing it, but I want it to be a really engaging, fun, colorful, beautiful book that, um, an autistic reader could be proud of seeing themselves in it. So Gib Smith in three weeks after submitting, like reached out to me, which they were my number one choice. Um, Cause I knew their illustrations specifically were great. And that empathy is a huge part of their mission and motto. And they were like, we love this. This is the book we've been waiting for on autism. Um, we want to get it out in a year. And I was like, what? I was like, I read it takes like two, two years plus And they were like, no, like, this is just needs to get out there. So I worked with them. They were lovely. They're still lovely. They're like family now to me. Um, Now you have my brother Otto out there. And it's about two crows. And Otto is autistic and non-speaking or non-verbal. And um, to me, he's he's, um, a combination of probably myself and all the autistic friends that I have, all the autistic children I've worked with. Marie specifically definitely was a huge part in the first book for my brother Otto, the original one. And it took a while for that one to gain momentum because there are so many books that come out each month. You get lost. I always say you get lost in the abyss. And then finally it took off like a year and a half after it is great because then that led way to the publisher being like okay we can make sure now like that this is steady and now we can mm-hmm. let you if you have another one like start working on another one which I laughed because like I have it written <laughs> so that is the story of how like my brother Otto came to be um and I'm I'm excited yeah that is Awesome. That is beautiful. I I had no idea that that was the origin story at all. Like that is Me either. That is an awesome awesome origin story, mm-hmm. and it's it, it. I do when I when I read the auto books and I talk about it with the kids um, and getting their feedback. It is he does he does represent a collective. There are so many mm-hmm. uh, characteristics that somebody can feel themselves they can either see another person that they know in auto or see themselves and um and I and I've had that experience too which is was like 
so, so cool. I, I can't even describe what that was like for watching that little first grader in my daughter's class and his reaction to, yeah, I'm, I'm like Otto. And, and it was almost like he hadn't told his classmates that he, he was, and they all, some of them definitely think that he was, you know, strange or bizarre, but all of a sudden he's, he's very, um, he, he, he's very articulate, you know, like he, in fact, he has a hard time not talking. And so he, he was very open about what his experiences were like. And then all of a sudden, I think all of his classmates saw him in a different light. And like, that was such a gift to him. Like, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. And, um, Mm -hmm. like I, I, that, I want everyone <laughs> to read these books that I think it's so, so important. And the illustrations mm. are beautiful. Um, beautiful. That is, and that's important. I think it's a really important thing to point out because we mm-hmm. carry those images in our heads throughout the, you know, our lifetime. You know, we associate mm-hmm. those images of those things stick with us. I mean, look at the characters from Charlie Brown and Brown Bear, Brown Bear, and just all of these classic books that sometimes Mm -hmm. honestly, obviously have turned into film. Those things just stick, you know, they become Mm -hmm. iconic. And Mm -hmm. so that is awesome that you stuck to what's true to you. um, And you know, manufacturing this book and seeing it through to publish. That's, that is so awesome. Well, yeah. Um, and I'll even say with Piper, with sister, you know, it's there, there's such a, and Jean, I mean, you can say this, I'm sure too, mm-hmm. with McKenna, you know, there's <clears throat> such a connection that both of our daughters have found with that character, you know, the, the sister of, of Otto and, and, um, how they can relate to so much of that, you know, and, and, and have it be normalcy for them, for them to say like, okay, this is, my life is just as normal as anybody else's, you know, and, and um, it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful what you've done. Mm -hmm. And you did this while you were still, you were, this was all happening while you were doing your work, your, your work as a SLP. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I ask about that? Um, May, can I ask about like um, how long you've been in, in yeah. your career as a um, speech pathologist? Definitely. Since so since 2012, that's when I started my first job at the Minnesota Autism Center, and I so I've lived kind of across the country, uh, Minneapolis, Delaware, and then now settled in Utah. Um, always have worked in the realm of individuals with neurodivergence and ended up, and it's, this is fine. I'm sure you guys, everyone has their own views and I have a very nuanced view just to like put a big asterisk by it. But the autism center I was at, it was an ABA center based center and I think it was I think there was a lot of awesome stuff happening there for sure 
Um, but I remember feeling just a little bit uncomfortable, just of, again, there was just an energy of white, not like that they were like that the kids were, you know, these humans in a way, you know what I mean? Like there was this, like everyone was super sweet and like delighting in the kids, which I think I'm going to like praise. And like, they did a lot of beautiful work, so much beautiful work. Um, but when I think about like the one-on-one day after day, 40 hours a week, not getting to be by peers as much, if at all, um, it just makes, like, I do get a little sad thinking about that. And that was just a hard environment for me to be in. And then I switched to a hospital setting for a while and loved it so much and did all kinds of like work with AAC, which is the alternative and augmented communication and yeah had a blast there and that was also in that was in St. Paul which is adjacent to Minneapolis and then after that went out to a children's hospital in Delaware called the Moors and um, would just not I didn't have as much direct contact with autistic children in that job, but I knew I was only there for like two years because it was for my ex's like postdoctorate that he was finishing and then came out to Utah and I have the best job as a speech pathologist I think I could possibly have. It's it's pretty much like private practice, but I get to go into the homes and I work with the siblings, the parents and the kid and I tell them up front like this is not gonna be a therapy where it's just me and the child because I think there's so much pressure on them to like have to like accommodate and like learn what's neurotypical in a way to be successful outside of the home in a way. And so like I wanted, uh, it's very important to me for the parents and the siblings to be involved as well and like advocacy and self-advocacy, but also advocacy from the rest of the family and all like joining forces with them. Um, sometimes I laugh because I'm like, am I doing speech pathology <laughs> here or am I just like befriending all of these wonderful people and helping them in other ways? But <laughs> like, I think I'm doing speech therapy. <laughs> um, yeah, that would, well, you know what, that that's an anomaly though, because right. I've, as you know, stewarding Rory's care plans, treatment plans with all of his providers. Yes. Um, yes. I've had to sometimes tell people that's the deal breaker. If you are not um, including everyone in the home or you're, you know, ostracizing my daughter from the experience, like that's mm-hmm. not, it's supposed to be like in real life. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be this isolated okay. time. And you know, this is also how us, the parents learn. I mean, that's, that is how I learned how to model certain things or Mm -hmm. interact with my son was by being a part of his sessions. Um, and there was times where also, and I think it actually has now recently more evolved that he does like to just it be his time. He's so engaged in the mm-hmm. process, but they're not in a private room. They're out in the open in our, in our lives. Like, you know, and they mm-hmm. still like, if there's time where McKenna is interacting or there's a turn taking mm-hmm. kind of uh, game, 
know, they're, that's, that's sort of the standard for me. And that's, that's not always the standard for the provider and other providers like, no, I'm only here to treat Mm -hmm. this child. And they kind of, and I'm like, well, that's just not going to be a fix. And so Mm -hmm. I applaud you for kind of just saying like, that is your standard. And that also can be um, an adjustment for some parents because, because of the experience that I just kind of outlined, which is they're kind of told that, well, we just are going to work with your kid and, you know, we'll check in with you later, you know, kind of thing. Um, some parents sometimes prefer it that way. They think that is that way, you know, that that's the way it's going to be done. And you're like, eh, no, no, not, no, that's not how it work. <laughs> so I, I really commend you for that. That is awesome. Yeah. No, I love anything that is like real time is my favorite for sure. Cause I'm like, that is where, I mean, that again, that's real life versus like, if you come in with flashcards and stuff like that, it's like, we don't really know how translatable that is from, you know, sitting on the floor looking at flashcards to real world interactions. Even if you're doing like pragmatics um, and social, like looking at social cueing and whatnot, it's just a lot different than when you're out and about in the spaces that you already visit. So the natural environment. For you though, mm-hmm. yeah. For you though, I imagine though, because I know that the current speech therapist struggles with this and doesn't like it. I mean, not even, even the educators, Mm -hmm. you know, the, for when it comes around for assessments or authorizations, like having to use standardized things being like, it's so painful Mm -hmm. to kind of get through to like force the kids. They're like, you know, and and I hear them, you know, tell, or like, we just got to do this just this day. And I swear we're never going to do it again for a long time. You know, (laughs) Um, it's, it's so funny to me because I'm like, well, at least they, you know, but it's like, how do, you know, how, how are we ever eventually going to fix the way that we are, you know, assessing and screening these kids so that you really get the meaningful information that you need? Like, it's, I don't know. I'm a data person. I, I love yeah. data, data, whatever, however you want to say it. I obviously it's, you know, it's something that is uh, non-negotiable. It has to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes again, you have to do these things on paper just so that they get the services they need. But how is that? How does that show up for you? How do you work mm-hmm. through that? Um, uh, you should see all of my reports. I'm always like, this is the test that we did, or the tests that we did. Even though they score like this, this is a mere snapshot of what they truly know. And then I provide examples of what I've seen, you know, just by hanging out with them or doing an activity or just literally, you know, I'll might sometimes I'll just, if they're upside down on their head, then I'll join them and like, we'll figure out life together. And then I add that information into my eval. Um, and when I talk to parents, I tell them to like, you cannot go off of these tests. Like I think the eval process almost, and this is hard being a person that I also like, data as well but it it is it's like it takes several sessions to really get an understanding of like what where the kid is at language wise and speech articulation wise as well um because we're putting so much pressure on that one day that one moment that they're gonna be you know regulated and uh, ready to sit for a long time which i laugh because i have some neurotypical kids of my own and (laughs) they're not gonna sit and focus and um, respond their best in that 
specific, you know, 30 to 60 minute time slot. Um, so I think it's just kind of, I think it's great to give the speech of like, you know, this is kind of insurance. It gives us a little bit of information, but just again, a mere smidge and I'll get, I'll gather more and more. And then I love to tell the parents and to empower them, like, and to tell them, cause it's true that they know their kid more than I do and more than the test does. Um, so what, like, where are some, you know, loopholes coming up in your interactions with your kids that you're like, Oh, I would love to see, you know, my child be able to do this with me, or they seem frustrated because they can't ask for blah, blah, blah. Um, so can we work on figuring out a way for them to have the, you know, an ability to ask for that? Or right now they're pulling my hand to what they want. So they're communicating, but like, is there a way to supplement that communication to make it more specific? And so I, I kind of just take the, like a multifactorial approach in my assessments for sure. And I'm always changing. <laughs> Like what I'm working on too, because I think what can happen is you're like, oh, you know, like, like what if they are working on prepositions and pronouns, which I can see like, yes, there's foundational skills in language, but what if they're like, you know, at school and they want, they're like auto and they want to make a friend or something. And I'm like, let's just put those all on hold. Who cares? They're not going to be telling their friend, like, Scott, you are next to the table with the bear on top. Like, <laughs> so I... I will sometimes just completely throw out some of my goals for a couple of months and like that are like, that are specific to language acquisition and language skills um, and focus on the more meaning. Cause again, if you have that buy-in from the kid too, and they're having fun and they're motivated, like that is generalizable. I've seen that time and time again, like they generalize that because they're, it, they're getting positive feedback and they're making a friend or they're making gains and in moving interactions along and understanding like their environments better and how to navigate them. So, um, Oh, you're making me think of, you're not supposed to have favorites on your caseload. <laughs> you're making me think of one of my kiddos who <laughs> I got, um, it's a public school, which is huge that they would let me come in because I'm considered private practice and it's just hard getting into, schools but they came up with the idea that I could come and see this kid at recess and I was like oh that's brilliant um because this is such a cool kid but has a hard time initiating play or like responding to peers and um he I'm not kidding you in the last three months he has made he just gets it now like he it's just natural to him to say he'll be like Miss Meg who who should we go up to and ask to play and like he'll like plan it out with me and then we go up or now there's kids going up to him and I won't say his first name or his name or anything um I know his parents don't care but I still won't say it um but they'll go up and they'll be like you want to play with me let's play da, da, da. and he's so excited and he'll sometimes one time we played this game instead of duck duck goose he's like let's play ipad ipad switch <laughs> Which I was like, I love it. So when you get a switch, the person chases you around the circle. And there were like 20 kids that came over because they all saw us having fun. And then he gets up and he's, Miss Meg, Miss Meg, I have so many friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the best session. And his mom goes, yeah, he did not stop talking about that for like days. Like yeah. just how 
impactful that was. And so like, I'm like that real time stuff and the stuff that's meaningful, like that is, that's everything I think. And that's the stuff that I enjoy working on. Um, yeah, that's tricky. That's another, I feel like that's another podcast figuring out like, what do we do as speech therapists when like, sometimes it's not even a deficit. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's like internally in them, they probably do understand more. Like they do. I, I mean, I do know they understand more than we can sometimes see or are aware of. It's just they're not motivated to use it or they can't access it in their brain because there's so much other stuff going on in their environment. They don't care that Johnny is sitting on top of, you know, a swing. It's not, it's not relevant to them. Yeah. I mean, so and so much, it's not. That's been my yeah. experience with my son. Yes. Like if it's not relevant to him, please, st- like what you're doing right now, he doesn't understand the relevance. He like As, either you, you either work on making the connection of why it's relevant, but if you actually find it necessary to achieve this goal or just drop it altogether mm-hmm. because you're agitating him. <laughs> like he doesn't like it. Like we'll table this and revisit it then. Like if you don't get that, it's just not relevant to him. Right. 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 Yeah. So much. Yeah, you're totally, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was going to say like, this would be awesome to have you back on yes. and talk you know, more about the clinical, Mm -hmm. you know, the, these, what, what the clinical side of things are like for you as a speech pathologist, Mm -hmm. um, and how awesome and fortunate, especially if this you're the speech pathologist that parents get right out of the gate, you know, when their child is diagnosed, because Mm -hmm. I gotta tell you, I mean, my, that was the most traumatic Mm -hmm. experience for me was his speech diagnosis Mm -hmm. prior to his autistic one. And so, you know, and that, and the, and the nomenclature and all, that was a huge, huge learning curve, um, for, for me as a parent. So, and I know many parents get, you know, share that same feeling and there's so much turnover, you know, in, in the line of work that you do too. Um, I do think it's awesome. The public school let you in, but public school, honestly, right now, our schools in general are so desperate for mm-hmm. staff and support. The biggest vacancies in the public school system right now are special ed. Any anything regarding special education, it is, um, it's it's huge deficit. So, like, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. I want more of that, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. amen. Um, so what before you know, I, I, uh, I would know that you have. Was it? It was last year that you made it publicly known that that you yourself are, in fact, autistic. Yeah. Right? Yep. Is that? Am I? Is my timeline correct? I think so. Okay. I think you're right. I think um, yeah, like last spring. Yeah. 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 I think so. And um, so now you've just been, you know, an open book about what your experience is, kind of stepping into that, and then um, how you're able to now continue sharing more largely, uh, with the world, um, and your audience. So how did you, how did you come to find out that you were, and Mm -hmm. what was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to say it was at least two years of me saying, no, I'm not like, no, <laughs> but having these ongoing conversations with, I have a lot of autistic friends 
friends, and one of them, she runs, do you guys know Neuroclastic? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay, so she runs it. So that's that's the media outlet. Yeah, run by all autistic individuals. It's an amazing resource for parents, too. So if you go to neuroclastic.com, I mean, it is amazing. Um, But Tara Vance, she and I are good friends. And like literally in two minutes of talking to her, she was like, you know, like you're autistic, right? Like you have that diagnosis. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. Like, not that there's any shame, but it was this sense of like, I work with autistic children, like in some autistic adults, like I'm friends with autistic adults. Um, Like there's just no way, like I've never been diagnosed before. No one's ever said anything. Um, And it's probably, if I'm honest, it's probably those, again, those ideas of what autism is that I had learned about, you know, in grad school or even in a silly um, movie or something about autism. And I was like, that's not me, though. Um, But Tara and her beautiful ways would like point out to me all these things. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah. Or she... um, I have another friend named Matthew Russian, who is um, a black and autistic man who was, who I became friends with, who he has another wonderful story. Um, I should connect you guys to him, but he's become a good friend of mine, but he was wrongfully convicted for a crime he didn't do. And it's directly tied to being autistic. He was like, Meg, the first time I talked with you, I was like, um, yes, like you sway, like you can't stop swaying, which right now I'm laughing because I, I feel contained. <laughs> by my fort (laughs) um and he and then he said when when i'm when he met me in person he could really pick up on it because i can be in person sometimes socially more awkward or socially more off i don't like to use the word awkward because that's just me i guess socially different Mm -hmm. um yeah and this would you guys like to know like the specifics of like what it is about me? Sure. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh yeah. Like that is right. Where you feel um, it's like a clear tell sign like that. <laughs> yes. So um, female autism, as I'm sure you guys know, is just, it's harder to diagnose and it looks different often because um, females are notorious for being able to, um, pick up on what are neurotypical traits and make patterns, which making patterns is a thing that shows, sheds light on you might be neurodiverse, Um, but we pick up on patterns and can realize, oh, in this situation, I do this with that, you know, that group of friends, I do this, they're talking about that. Oh, I guess I can like that too. Or, um, so reflecting back, I, one of the things that I used to do is I would ask friends sometimes about their facial expressions and ask them like, Oh, what did you mean when you said this? And they'd be like, I have no idea what you're like, like, I can, you know, I can't see my face. <laughs> and, um, or like I would get reassured, Meg, Meg, that's not, that's not how it's going or something like in certain contexts. Cause I would always try to make sense of like how interactions went and, would flat out call up a friend and say, Hey, you know, at lunchtime you did this and I'm trying to see where you're at and what, and to make sense of this. Um, 
So that is one example is just kind of like trying like flat out being in pure honesty, trying to figure out like, what are my friends? Like, what are all the nuance that I'm seeing? Like what explain that to me and trying to understand them. Um, And then another one, which I think this is my biggest one is I I'm hyper empathetic, which again, there's lots of beauty that comes from being hyper empathetic, but there there's a lot of hardship, a lot that comes with that. And I literally have a black and white, like, like, if this is wrong, you know, like, if this is hurting people specifically, that would be mine. If this is hurting people, there are no other excuses. Like, like, we have to fix this. <laughs> like, and so like, I can stay up at night. Um, or I, I have journals of just talking about like, this is, you know, like, there is a lot of pain in the world across so many different groups of people how do we go to bed at night knowing, you know, that there's people in jail that shouldn't be in jail and there are constant bullying happening with like 90% of the kids on my caseload. Like how, how do I go to bed at night? Um, which I should let y'all know. That's why I can't work full time, like as a speech pathologist, because it's overwhelming to me. Um, the empathy, like it, it can deplete me completely, like where I can't move um, because I get so sad and overwhelmed with all the work honestly, that needs to be done and the bullying that's happening and the time it takes for progress to happen is just overwhelming at times. So I can't, I can't do speech pathology full time. Um, and then this one really sent me over the, like, where I was like, are you kidding me? So Tara was telling me, and so were some of her friends from neuroclastic that Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, have you guys heard of EDS? Yeah, EDS, yeah, that's yeah. a common, like it's a hypermobility. I mean, there's four different types, right. but one of the types is hypermobility. And I have a diagnosis of that. <laughs> so when she told me this, I was like, okay, like I'm fitting in more and more with all of these things that you're telling me. Um, again, I should tell everyone because that's the other thing about me. Like I like very honest, mine's so mild, but I used to throw out my elbow constantly as a little kid. And like, I'd have to go to the doctor and you have to reconnect it into my socket. Like, um, Mm -hmm. so that was interesting. And that's specific, specifically common with females that are autistic. And then, you know, I was thinking of like, well, you know, like often there's like a repetitive, a repetitive component with autism. And I was like, I do have the repetitive (laughs) thoughts that I can't let go of like that perseveration. Like I can't let go of things. I have a very hard time with that. Um, but physically, I mean, until I was like 18 and I once in a while, I mean, I still catch myself doing it. I used to do, do this thing called thumping that my parents would call and it would be my whole body at night. Like I'd elevate like the upper half of me and just create a rhythm and that's how I would fall asleep or that's how I would regulate. Like my dad might come in in the morning at 6am and be like, you got to get up and go to school. And I'd be so distraught because I'm like, I want more sleep. And so I'd get up and I'd start like thumping again to regulate and then try, try to go back to sleep and for my dad to leave me alone. But, <laughs> um, and I would do that at sleepovers, like with my girlfriends, you know, they'd have me over on a Friday night for a sleepover and I'd be in the same bed as them and I'd be thumping. <laughs> like I joke with them now. I'm like, none of you guys like said anything to me. They're like, I don't know. We were just like, I guess that's how you sleep, Meg. And I go, that's so sweet of you just to, you know, accept it and not make a big deal. 
because now reflecting now that i know that that's not necessarily the norm like that's that was very sweet it's like i feel like i did have some really understanding friends in my life which i love thinking about that and i'm still friends with them too which is fun um yeah and so just putting that all together and then when my brother Otto came out and again I keep mentioning Tara from Neuroclastic but just the online community the online autistic community like so many people were reaching out and like just treating like they're saying like like they're like oh like it's so nice to have an autistic author and I'd be like I'm not autistic you know like <laughs> like that wrote this book um and I would ask them like, oh, well, what makes you think I'm autistic? You know, so just flat out asking. And they were like, oh my gosh, like you you can't write a book like that and just understand us so well, you know? And I was like, oh, I do? Thank you. And then I was like, I always feel like, you know, when I approach even in speech pathology, when I get a new kid on my caseload, I do feel like I have no problems connecting with any kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think there's something about like, 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 people like people that are similar you do have that natural energy and understanding of one another and I think it just flows and so I put all of this together and was terrified to like come out and say it just because I don't want to look like oh yeah like you write these books on autism and you're just coming out because again, I think it falls under that whole like grad school mindset of mine of like autism's the sexy thing. So I didn't want to come out and say that, oh yeah, just just surprise, like I'm also autistic. Um, it was there was no shame whatsoever in it. Like I don't want to connect it. To, I have no shame of that. I love I love my brain. I mean, I know I have trials with my how it works, but um, I just didn't want to come across as an imposter. I think. And I also didn't want to negate, like I, I was chatting with Tash uh, about how like there are some, like there are some kids on my caseload that just need a lot more support. However, I have seen so many of my kids that I've worked with across years need less and less supports or just more supports at one point you know throughout the year when they're entering into a really hard time of some sort like dysregulation or like just having a hard time processing something um but then I had a I had a conversation with some friends of mine that have an autistic son and like they're huge advocates um they're on the board actually for a nonprofit called Culture City and um they said to me, Meg, but like, again, like autism is different from person to person and what an encouragement or something you could be to people out there if you do share your story, you know, and you show them like, and it debunks also the myths that so many people are the, like the misunderstandings that people have on what it means to be autistic. Um, like show them like, yeah, you're, you're an, and like you live independently and, um, you have your own kids and you maintain jobs, but I mean, I still have a lot of hardships with, with lots of this stuff for sure. Um, but like what an encouragement you could be to families or like a resource, um, and sharing your story. Cause we can learn, we learn by story. And so I was like, you're right. I should just, I should just come out and it's okay. Like I've learned, I'm growing in this area. It's okay. If some people 
maybe get upset with me for not having a formal diagnosis or something, or if they don't believe me. Um, Because at the end of the day, like, I'm like 99% sure that I am neurodivergent autistic. And that's given me a lot of peace, too. That's given me so much peace to make sense of, like, there were things that were really hard growing up. And now I'm like, oh, that's because, like, to me, like, I saw it as one way, was told it's another way. But, like, really my brain was telling me, no, but the way you're experiencing this is, like, the truth to you, you know, in that situation. And so I think that it's been very freeing. For me and it's helped me a lot even in like you mentioned that I'm engaged I'm laughing because he loves that I'm neurodivergent like he's like oh yeah he's like I can mm-hmm. he's like the way he's like I've you know like we met on the dating app and he's like the way you communicate with me and the way you're just like this is me this is what I'm about like or like what do you mean by that that you did you know <laughs> and he's like it's just a very like honest and he would say like endearing relationship because he's like I never there's no games with you I'm like yeah there's there are no games yeah games <laughs> I don't even know how to do that they're very so mentally uh, it's been a journey but it's been a great one taxing for that reason they're like emotionally labor so I'm like you're just adding more stress to my life please stop making it a game just say what you mean mean what you say let's go people um so a couple connections here um I think I became, I've never met Matt, Matthew in person. Um, I learned about Matthew uh, online um, when he was still in and she was trying to get him, his mom was actively trying to get him out. And um, I sent a couple letters um, to um, the, um, to the lawmakers and, um, uh, to help add anything to help advocate, obviously, like, um, that's a huge passion that I have, um, in my, and I have, to, I have to do the same thing, um, as sometimes being a trustee, um, the work is so big and so large. I can't, it, I, it overcomes me and it's like, and then I can't sleep and it's, like I can't sleep at night because there's just, so much work to be done and this is so unjust and we have to fix this. And, um, I so related to that landscape. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I, I still follow Matthew and following his journey and it, you know, still having to, um, get through being finally exonerated, um, as well. Right. Like that's where he's, he's at. Um, and then Tosh actually, um, has a connection with, with culture city. Um, and I, there, she's coming back here. She's coming back. Tosh. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. So, um, Tosh has a connection to, to culture, uh, city as well. And we're hoping to actually have them on as guests, um, soon to the podcast. Uh, Tosh, did you want to explain how you how you got connected to them? Um, sure, I'll just do a quick little, and then I have questions for Meg about it because I your um, advocacy through them and working with them has been uh, so amazing, um, and I'm sure there's lots of people in the community who would love to know how you know 
I mean, you know, people, you know, you have direct contact with um, friendships with people in there, but um, how anybody can become involved with Culture City. So um, my connection is through my twin sister. She is in production work and she um, does the Super Bowl every year. And um, Culture City has their uh, sensory room. And so she, that's how she made the contact a couple of years ago with, um, you know, and worked hand in hand with getting, you know, helping them to um, make sure everything was set up properly and all the things that they needed, you know, they were the um, connection. So um, how, how do you, what's your um, work been like with them? And because um, you've done some big things in, in Utah. I'm all over the place with them. Like I do a lot of different things. We're still figuring out. I just recently got hired by them. I'm like on their team, which is so exciting. It's so exciting. Um, Oh, it's so exciting. Um, So what is my role? I don't even really have a title because it's all over. (laughs) Um. What have I done? First of all, they I cannot say enough positive about this nonprofit culture city because they genuinely care and there is no other agenda. Like they're not in it for anything other than like they all have a connection. They're either autistic, they have a child, a spouse, or some connection of seeing why it's important to make places and spaces sensory inclusive and um and they won't stop. There's just a lot of passion behind it, which is amazing. And it's just getting bigger and bigger. And it's not about the numbers, but it's about the numbers because we want the whole world, you know, we want every single place to be accessible, accommodating and understanding um, and wanting for neurodivergent folks and folks with sensory processing differences. Um, yeah, I've mostly, I've done everything on a volunteer basis with them they met me through auto online on instagram like we connected he got the book and was like this is i love this book this book needs to be everywhere and he ended up julian maha is his name he's the him and his wife are like the founders of culture city and they have an autistic son um and he was like just immediately like welcome to the family kind of a person like and he's he's legit like he genuinely cares about everyone that's involved and like has big vision and will keep going after his vision which is amazing. amazing um yeah so i've gotten to like help volunteer at different events including like concerts like jason isbell and imagine dragons and i kid you not they are life-changing every time i get to do it because you hear so many people, adults specifically, come up and say, like, I wish you would have been here, you know, when I was a teenager. Or, like, I didn't go to things like this as a teenager because of where I was at dealing with sensory issues. And, you know, my parents didn't want to bring me out and about sometimes because things were just a little too much. And, like, we didn't know how to, we didn't know, like, what other people in the environment would do, you know, if I had in a panic attack like it doesn't even have to be autism adhd or any of that it can be a mental health issue um, where you need accommodations so um the vulnerability that people have people want to share their story and i feel like culture city provides that safe space of like we're here for you we get you and then they're like 
let me tell you about my brain <laughs> and how I experience the world. Yeah, so um, Culture City actually connected me with Matthew Russian and his family, and I got to serve as a speech pathologist on the case or as kind of like an expert witness, which I didn't, I had to like Google. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what this means, but I'm all for like, let's get them out. Like this is awful. Um, and so I actually had access to like all like the video footage and the transcript and everything. And the whole time I'm like dying and I know Laverne, his mom, I mean, I can't imagine she is probably, I don't even know how you heal in a way from, from it. Right from seeing your son who is literally the kindest, like, and I think kindness is used as a trite word so many times, but like to his bones kind and wonderful soul, like, like Matthew and see him being treated the way he's treated and watching how he responds and just physically looking at him while he's being interrogated. And you're like, this is just not right. Like, this is awful. Um, and then to pick up on, like, as a speech pathologist, to pick up on some of the language that was happening. And you're like, oh, like, that could be echolalia. Um, or, oh, like, he's not quite understanding what is going on. Like, there might actually have been a neurological event during this that is happening, which is what it ended up being. Um, and so Culture City, that's the thing, too. Like, it's not like they, I mean even if they did just provide these sensory spaces at events, that would be amazing. But like they get involved and they like do on-site trainings and they've worked with police departments and like they're changing the lives and the safety even of autistic children and adults um, and all those with sensory needs. So um, yeah, I've done just different things. I got to help. Uh, I got to help um, add some stuff to the training too, just with some of my background and whatnot. And my like talking about communication specifically in the trainings and like what is kind of typical of what you can see or a possibility of what you can see and the best way to communicate back um, that's been intertwined in their training, which has been fun. And then now, and this is, this is the exciting thing. And like, this is the thing that I lose sleep over <laughs> now. Um, I am so close, so close to getting an entire school district to jump on board. Oh I'm going to die. If this happens guys, like I'm going to die because the, again, like I told you, and I know you guys are aware because your moms, like the bullying is insane. It's insane insanely up and these kids are so misunderstood and then like it's just it's a hot mess and it's sad and it we should be so much further along than where we are at like with special education and with our understanding like you don't even have to be in special ed to benefit from these services either um but if this happens like then I will get to like go in and I have so many ideas, but of like bringing in other people too and doing like assemblies specifically on neurodivergence and anti-bullying initiatives and um, just making it so like when they see the culture city symbol in the schools, they're like, oh yeah, you know, Johnny or Susie, like they go in there like three times a day or something because, and they're just going to be able to list like why they might be going in there and like oh, they're neurodivergent. Like, let's just start using the language or they're autistic or they have ADHD and that really helps them to regulate. 
and to feel their best and to come back to the class. Um, this will help with classroom management from the teacher's perspective, which I love because I do believe they have way too much to handle. Like, that's another reason why I never went into teaching because I was like, yeah, there's no way. How do you meet the needs of every person in your classroom? And I think this provides a great op- outlet. And some of these teachers are neurodivergent or have sensory needs too. So this will be great for them. Um, And if we talk about it, it's the same. We're not going to have continuing autos that were pulled to the side and said like, oh, you're fine. You know, go, go play Meg. You're fine. It's like, no, Otto, he just needs some accommodations, but he's going to come play with me or I'm going to play with him in his way that he wants to play as well. And I just get excited about all that. So I am so close to getting them to say yes. There's just a lot of difficulty with schools, to be honest, because they aren't just dealing with, you have these passionate principals and these passionate special ed um, personnel. and But there's just like business logistics and stuff like that that are just in policy stuff and politics. It's just hard. Right. But if and, this happens, and, I think this could be huge. And I think this could and shed. They, yeah. And they, and they get introduced, and I know this firsthand from being in a position where we vote to adopt these things as yeah. a board for a school district, is they get presented with so many things that are like these broad sweeping solutions. And it's like, well, which one are you going to, which, which one is going to give us, optimize us and be the most, you know, effective and, um, you know, and money is obviously uh, comes into play. And so you're just thinking about how is this meeting enough, enough needs or not. And I have (laughs) brought this up to every, anytime I do talk to any of our principals, um, we have a whole adaptive PE um, uh, section that actually runs our special Olympics program. And mm. we are, um, half of our district is our unified partners. And that's something that again, creates this atmosphere of inclusion and acceptance. Um, and there was one originally only one campus. And so now we have like 13 campuses that are doing it. And the whole goal is to get the whole entire district, but that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't meet the, the need of, you know, sensory needs and, and other, uh, other modalities and accommodations that, but it does set the atmosphere for inclusion. Um, mm-hmm. It's huge, huge, huge difference. But I still am like, when I went to, um, one of the kids um, had a carnival and I saw some of the kids there that were autistic um, I couldn't actually bring Rory to that because I know that he wouldn't have been able to to handle it. There wasn't anything there to give him support at that time. And then I saw kids in like wheelchairs and I'm like, okay, there's nothing you've, we've done nothing. We've put this event on and not mm-hmm. all of the kids can participate in it. And that's like a deal breaker for me. <laughs> and so um, I love the one thing you didn't mention is the, the mantra of culture city is uh, make nevers possible. Yes. And, and that is so profound, profound. and yep. tr- transcending. And that's exactly what, what they're doing. So you're doing so much work. You also are writing, doing, or uh, doing writing with Scary Mommy too. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doing way too many hacks. But you're, I love it all. Woman. I love it all. It like, um, it works really well. Like when you hear, when you heard recently, previously in our chat like about how I get like being hyper empathetic and like depleted 
it's allowed me a chance to use, you know, other parts of me. Like of I love writing and I love introspection. And I feel like you put those together and I'm a mom and I'm autistic and scary mommy works. Um, and they reached out to me, which was so exciting. And I was like, I would love to do this. And my editor that I work closely with, she is literally amazing and has, I feel like helped dramatically with my writing skills too. Like, I feel like that woman is, I mean, she's a mom too. And um, it's been a very positive experience. And I feel like, like they'll let me like pitch ideas and they'll be like, yes, let's do that. And I'm like, oh, this is great. It's been nothing but a positive experience. And I think that it's great to have autism represented in an outlet, like a parenting outlet, like Scary Mommy, because that's again, sometimes excluded. I don't think intentionally, I just think it's a missed opportunity. And I love that they're being intentional in um, addressing well, what's the household like for neurodivergent folks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Super uh, important. I mean, yeah. it's, it's in the, you know, the whole basis of um, the family systems theory. It's, it, it's so uh, pervasive into all of these, even down to all of our media outlets. So, you know, like the, people are just only functioning within what they think is still, we still are programmed with what the prototype of what mm-hmm. a nucle- nuclear neurotypical family setting is like, right. um, there's, there's attachments. So it, it breaks down barriers. Um, so you are, you are extraordinary. I, there are so many things, you know, you can only gather so much, you know, online what's on the, you know, on a surface level, but you, you are doing incredible, incredible things for this community, this world. Um, and I feel so honored and privileged to know you and we, you know, for all like our, our platform, I feel so honored that you came on to to share with us today. It's so, this is going to be so powerful for so many. And, and and it's a way for us, we've shared about your book, um, and the work that you do, you know, we, we've shared about that on our, on our, in our community, but you know, how many, it doesn't exactly hit everybody at once. So this is, um, a definite way of, of reaching them in a larger capacity and hopefully, and, and one thing what you plugged and I have to go do this cause you plugged the other day, um, to make sure that everyone's going on Amazon, giving you reviews for your books. So I'm going to add that to, it's on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. Um, so just, we can, yeah. Just to bring it. You guys are making me all teary. I'm like, I'm going to start bawling. (laughs) Just to bring it like full circle for you, Meg. You know, in the beginning of this interview, you you talked about, um, you know, not wanting to do the cool thing and not wanting to um, do the sexy thing, what everybody was interested in. And Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that, um, you know, that you your connection with God and that you let listened, you listened and you opened up because all these tiny little things that have come into your journey has put you exactly where you should be, exactly where you should be. And the work that you're doing is so important. And you've, you listened to that, you know, you listened to that and you, and you opened up to it and you are changing people's lives 
Um, and you're not even done yet. You are, you're just, you know, you're just scratching the surface. Um, so it's just so incredible. We, we truly, when we say we are grateful to know a person like you in this community, um, and all the things you're doing, and this isn't the last interview. <laughs> we're going to, no, like Jean said, no. we're going to bring you on and we're going to do the whole speech right. thing too. the, the, the down and dirty of the clinical yeah. side of speech. Um, and then also, you know, to have you back to, to talk about other fun and incredible things. <laughs> yeah. We want to hear the continued coming. work with culture city, yeah. you know, like super yeah. exciting. Yeah. I'm so yeah. excited. Yes. So yeah. excited. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Jean, we, um, as we're bringing this to a close, we will, um, make sure in the show notes for all of you out there, we will make sure and, um, plug in all of the different things, Meg's different websites. We will plug culture city, um, Matthew's page, um, so that people can follow and, and then the links for your, where people can get my brother Otto and my brother Otto's birthday. And hopefully that third one coming soon. (laughs) I need, yes. I, and I will tell you guys, like, that's, I will say that is a hard part of being an author is that, like, because there's so many books that come out, you have to constantly be pushing your book. And that's hard on me because I don't, I mean, I believe in the book and I love it and I have fun doing it, but I also get worried that I'm going to come across as like salesy or something. Um, and I can just flat out tell you guys, I don't, I make like zero dollars. <laughs> with auto. I mean, some point in my life I could make money with auto, but I make zero dollars. Um, but if people really see the importance of auto and they really want to see him continue and for the publisher to be able to keep printing auto, like I just need, we just need more people to know about it. Um, and I believe in it and I'm not, don't worry, I won't ever give up. And there, uh, like, there is a third one that's already written and ready to go. It's just going to take a couple years because it take you have to hit certain marks with your book before the next one can come out. So, right. um, then the next one is going to be amazing. If I mean, it'll take years, but it'll be worth it. I keep telling myself it doesn't like just keep working with the two books yeah. right now. And what's your, um, uh... Just so we can say it here too. Yeah. Um, I know we'll put it in here, but what's your Instagram handle again? At author.meg.reby. And I and I said that I would tell you what the worst oh. <laughs> um, maiden name that my mom had was just still is the worst. And I and then I have to tell you exactly how I came across it. Hmm. It's Giho. G-E-H-O. Giho. Yeah. Can you swallow that one? So, so I had my mom's yearbooks when I was like in middle school and I'm like going through trying to find her in this book and I'm, you know, you're middle school. You're not thinking about like, oh, well, your mom, your current, like that's her married name. You like, didn't think to ask like, well, what was your non-married name? My mom was a, was a foster kid. So I didn't even like, you know, I didn't have that connection to, to, to her, to her family, um, biologically. And like, so she's like, uh, it's Giho. And I was like, it's a what up? So who? And I found it. I mean, and you know, the maturity level of oh, a yeah. middle schooler, you know, and I'm showing my, oh, yeah. I can't even, I can't, I'm no, I get it. And, and here's the thing, my, her, her biological father and her older brother. Yeah. Leo. Leo. Leo, Leo. <laughs> it sounds like a children's book. <laughs> Oh, it's so precious. And there's a whole lot of gihos. There is a lot of them. You know, it is um 
Yeah. So, you know, don't ever feel bad about it. You know, that's a, <laughs> I love it. Don't ever feel bad about your name. Cause no, I know there are gihos out there <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I love nothing against <laughs> gihos. I'm just saying, <laughs> can I leave, can I leave you guys? I am reading such a good yes. book. Kindness. It is amazing. But it says, one of the biggest barriers to a kinder world is the way we oh. speak about kindness. When we make something sound easy, we don't allocate the necessary resources, energy, or time to actually improve at it. The kind of kindness the world needs isn't being accurately portrayed, let alone taught. And as a result, there's a glaring delta between perceived importance and actual action. And like, I'm like, yes, because I think like we so quickly say, you know, to our kids even, be kind, be kind. Oh, is that kind? Be kind. But we're, and I think we're all well-meaning it, but it's become like this bright phrase. And I think that, um, again, going back to like, I was thinking about like this morning, I knew I was going to be chatting with you guys and just about auto. And I was like, in order to be deeply kind to autistic children and adults, it is, it's like, there's action required. And there's that, like, I think that reading the auto books is a great first step or, um, you know, following autistic accounts on Instagram is great. Having parents that, you know, put in a little extra work to learn about it too, so that they can talk to their neurotypical kids about it and say like, there are at least five kids in your classroom that are autistic at least. Um, and chatting about what that means. Um, yeah, I just found that to be a little bit relevant to our talk today. It's very relevant. That's thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Cause that, that, that sounds is. like something I'm going to have to. It's out. so good. And it's yellow. <laughs> yes. I was, color. I was like, this is the best <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Uh, okay. You guys, okay. we are going to wrap this up, but we will also have Meg on, um, on hopefully on our Instagram page, maybe do yeah. a live with her, um, to talk, to talk a little bit more about some other fun things. Um, but Meg, thank you guys so much. Thank truly. So much. Thank you. Yeah. This thank feels you. kind of, you are an incredible, yeah, it felt kind of like a, you know, it's felt kind of like celebratory, um, having you on there. So many, mm-hmm. so many things to celebrate and, about the work that you're doing. And, um, I think, a, you know, this, this, this episode will be a testament to that for sure. So thank you for gifting this to our Absolutely. wonderful listeners. Oh, um, yeah. I, I love people and I love also hearing people's stories and getting this opportunity to share is very sweet of you guys. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, we will, catch everybody the next time and um check out the show notes and our instagram page um for any more ongoing information um about the episode and future episodes and share any content that you're interested in um hearing or listening to we always want that feedback so you know where to find us hello at momstalkautism.com or you can go to our instagram page and hit us in our dms so Thank you and deep Mm -hmm. gratitude. We love you and see you next time.